page uh, 56 in the back of the blue hymnal as our catechism lesson for tonight. I'll begin by reading this commandment in Exodus 20:17, and then I'll read our two verses from Colossians 3. We hear now God's holy word, Exodus 20, verse 17. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his manservant or maidservant, his ox or donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. Colossians 3, verses 5 and 6. Begin at verse 1 of Colossians 3. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your heart on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, Whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. Amen. The grass withers and flower fades. God's word endures forever. Then if you would go to page 56, the back of our hymnal, let's read uh, the catechism answers together. Question 113. What is God's will for us in the Tenth Commandment? That not even the slightest thought or desire, contrary to any one of God's commandments, should ever arise in my heart. Rather, with all my heart, I should always hate sin and take pleasure in whatever is right. But can those converted to God obey these commandments perfectly? No, in this life, even the holiest have only a small beginning of this obedience. Nevertheless, with all seriousness of purpose, they do begin to live according to all, not only some, of God's commandments." No one in this life can obey the Ten Commandments perfectly. Why then does God want them preached so pointedly? First, so that the longer we live, the more we come to know our sinfulness and the more eagerly look to Christ for forgiveness of sins and righteousness. Second, so that while praying to God, For the grace of the Holy Spirit, we may never stop striving to be renewed more and more after God's image until after this life we reach our goal, perfection.
we know that this 10th commandment stands out in its depth or uh, the fact that it explicitly uh, searches the, the inner workings of our hearts. And the Apostle Paul, commenting on that very fact in the book of Romans, says, uh, kind of sets this commandment apart, right? That, that uh, the 10th commandment, you shall not covet, all of a sudden now there's, there's an explicit commandment of God to, to not have something that's internal, that's not an, an external action, but an internal feeling or emotion or disposition. God says, don't feel that way. And, and that's a, a very important thing to consider, uh, that, that God, being God, is a God who can command certain emotions or feelings or dispositions. And some people may say that as human beings we have no we have no control over that. You know, we, we, we can't control whether we feel sad or, or joyful. And I think if we read scripture, we, we, we can know that, that, number one, God commands us to do certain things in, the, in our inner lives. Don't covet, delight in the Lord, be joyful. Uh, so God commands it. And then with God's help, these things can be achieved to some degree, not perfectly and not all the time, but God can command these things and he will grant what he commands according to his will. He can allow us to be joyful and to delight in him and, and he can allow us to experience uh, a, an obedience to this commandment to not covet. So we'll consider the commandment, the tenth commandment, uh, in terms of what it is, why it's so dangerous, and some ways uh, to fight against the commandment, or f- to fight against our uh, tendency to disobey the commandment, I should say. And then we'll talk about some of what the, ca- the, the catechism says in regards to our obedience of all of the ten commandments together. So first, what is coveting? Uh, Thomas Watson gave sort of two general definitions of coveting, and I think they are both helpful. I'll be interacting with a lot of Watson's thoughts tonight. Coveting could be defined first as to desire more than is enough, particularly when it's centered on the possession of our neighbor. So we see something that our neighbor has, and that's certainly the the way that the wording of the commandment comes. You see something that your neighbor has, You have enough of that, but you want his or you want more. So to to desire more than uh, what is needful is the first. And secondly, since coveting is is this inner disposition, Watson says that it could also be defined as an intense love of the world. And that's, we we, we could think of that when we read Colossians 3. Maybe you saw that I changed greed in the NIV to covetousness. I think that's probably the the better definition of that term, covetousness. But to be filled with greed, you are a a covetous person. Inside of you, you are filled with these desires of things that you don't have and these desires of things that you think will fulfill you or satisfy you. They will provide something for you. And certainly we, we fight a lot of those instincts in our sinful hearts. But that is really the second 
definition or second half of what coveting is. An intense love of the world. It may stay entirely internal. It it may be something that you never express to even those closest to you. But if uh, there's a, a gnawing love of the world inside of you that is greatly displeasing to God and it's very dangerous and injurious to your soul. As we think about those two definitions of coveting, let's think about all of these questions that uh, there are six questions here I'm going to pose to us that allow us to think through whether or not coveting is somewhere in our hearts. The first question is this, are your thoughts mostly or completely taken up with this world? So do you Do you think of heavenly things? Do you think of the Lord? Do you think of his kingdom? Or are your thoughts completely taken up with the world? Psalm 139 verse 17. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I would count them, they are more than the sand. I awake and am still with you. Here the psalmist says that God's thoughts are precious to him. And certainly that comes from a a reflection upon the thoughts of God. He is seeking to think God's thoughts after him. And that's really what, what being a Christian is and seeking to know God more. What we're seeking to do is think God's thoughts after him. God has a way that he knows himself, that he delights in himself as God. And we seek to do that in a similar fashion. We think God's thoughts after him. In Philippians chapter 3, Paul is calling all of the Christians uh, to walk in a certain way, to live in a certain way. So he says in verse 17, Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven. Paul is saying that the the way of these worldly folks is to essentially follow all of their desires and lusts. And the reason that happens is their their minds are set on earthly things. They, They don't engage in heavenly mindedness. And that is truly a a, a high calling as Christians. That is what we are called to do. To be grounded in heaven. Colossians 3 says that, doesn't it? Set your mind on things above. Think about those things. Second question. Is more of your effort taken up with gaining on earth or gaining in heaven? Most of the effort that you put forth in this life, is it taken up more, is it concerned more with gaining on earth or gaining in heaven? Jesus says in Matthew 6, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Jesus says it is wise to invest in the kingdom of heaven. 1 Timothy 4, the Apostle Paul says, have nothing to do with irreverent and silly myths, but train yourself 
for godliness. That, uh, that word for train is gumnazo. Uh, you might recognize that, gymnasium. But it has that, that strong connotation to training, that there's a, there's a practicing that's involved. There's effort and uh, fibers tear away through the effort and they're built back up in a, in a stronger way uh, when they recover. And that's what godliness is, is all about as well. It, it somewhat can be likened to physical training. We go through things, we put stress upon the various aspects of where we're seeking to be godly, our ethical lives, lives of obedience. We're working on being joyful. We're praying that God would allow us to delight more in him. And uh, we pray that he would grow our joy. What's he going to do? God is going to bring situations into our lives that test our ability to remain joyful. And as we do so, and we seek his grace, we go through that situation, we look back, we see where the Lord blessed us, we see where we can still work on it and at it. And the Lord continues to work in us by his grace. So train yourself for godliness, Paul says. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way. As it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. There is, you would never go wrong training yourself for godliness. Because it makes you, it allows you to glorify God more in this life. And, of course, it has the ultimate payoff of enjoyment of God in the next. Third question. Do you talk more of earth or of heaven? Or, perhaps this, how much, simply how much do you talk of heavenly things and godliness? Some of these questions, um, you, you may say, well... I, I certainly don't talk more about heaven than I do of earth, but the, the point of the question is to get you to see that if our heavenly life is so much more valuable, then we certainly should be talking about it more. We certainly should be uh, seeking to incorporate our obedience to God and our life of godliness, our pursuit of holiness into our lives more than uh, many of us do. Philippians 4 verse 8 Brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. And if your heart is dwelling on something, then your mouth will speak of it. The mouth is the ambassador of your heart. Whatever your heart dwells on, it's, it's, it's amazing. You can see this in, in little children, even up through adults. When your heart is delighting in something, when someone's heart is set on something, what do they do? They cannot help but speak about it. Your heart will let others know what you truly love. Ephesians 5. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. Right? In other words, let thanksgiving flow out of your mouth. The kind of thanksgiving we need to have is gospel-centered thanksgiving. John 3. He who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way. He who comes from heaven is above all. Jesus is saying those of the earth speak of earthly things only. And they can only speak in earthly ways. I think 
a correction for the church in this age is to grow in our heavenly mindedness, to grow in our ability to speak about the things of God to one another, to encourage each other with the words and the word of God, to encourage each other with the promises of God. A body of believers that does that well is going to be a body of believers that glorifies God and whose faith is greatly strengthened. Fourth question, are you willing to part with any earthly thing to gain Christ? Are you willing to do the equation where you have the balance and you have Christ on one side and the entire earth, everything that this earth can offer on the other side? And Christ still outweighs it. Is he the pearl of great, of great price in your heart and in your soul? Are you willing to give up everything to know Jesus and to be with Jesus? Luke 18. Rich young man comes to Jesus, says, I, I follow the commandments. How can I be sure that I will have life in your kingdom? Jesus says... You need to obey the commandments. The young man says he does. Jesus says, one thing you still lack, sell everything you have and distribute to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. But when he heard these things, he became very sad for he was extremely rich. Jesus, seeing that he had become sad, said how difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. He looked at it, he said, whatever Jesus was saying, whatever lesson he's, he's, giving that, he's giving there, it could be a longer discussion. But this young man said, I can't do it. I can't leave behind. I, I, I can't leave behind what I love. A friend of mine, uh, was, he and his wife were counseling a, a young person going through a very, very difficult time relationally and kind of uh, caught in between, caught in a sin in between uh, two people, a romantic kind of sinful situation. And they're speaking to this young person, and the, you know, for about an hour, you know it's wrong, yes. You know you shouldn't be doing this, yes. And you get to the end of the, the conversation. Now, are you willing to leave this person behind and to never see that person again? And the young person said, no. No, I can't do it. I, I can't, I, I just can't leave. I can't cut it off. That's what the heart does. The heart focuses on something and it can't let go. But a heart that is changed by the kingdom, a, a heart that has found the pearl of great price, a, a heart that has found that treasure hidden in the field can, can look at Christ and say, he is worth everything to me. And I, it is my great delight to leave it all behind and follow him. The Apostle Paul says, whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness of God that depends on faith. That I may know him, Paul says. That's what, that's what matters. That I may know him in the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. So by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection of the dead. Are you willing to lay it all down, to leave it all behind, to follow Jesus? Fifth question. Do you set aside time for 
heavenly work, heavenly business, and growth in godliness. Psalm 92, a song for the Sabbath. Lord, it is good to sing your praises in the morning and to declare your faithfulness at night. And it, on the Sabbath day, there is a goodness, a fittingness to praising God uh, in the morning and in the evening and to showing him that uh, he is what is most valuable. Isaiah 58 says a similar thing. Uh, the, the prophet there says to God's people, if, if you delight in the Sabbath, if you, not, not just if you check the box as God's people, not just if you observe the ceremonies that he has prescribed for you, but if you delight in them, then God will come and he will honor you and he will bless you. Think about your daily life. Do you set aside time uh, to make sure that you are in some way communing with God? Prayer, scripture reading, asking God for his help. Do you set aside time? If you never set aside time, then how can we say it matters to you? And then finally, last question. Do you care how you come to possess the earthly things that you want? When you set out to gain something, you know, I want to save money for this, or I really want that, does it matter how you come into possession of it? Because as Christians, the ends don't justify the means. And there might be many sinful ways that we come into possession of something. Uh, we may not break the law, we may not steal, we may not cheat anyone else, but there are all kinds of ways that we can lack and honor for God in, when we are filled with a covetous desire for things. So those are some questions to think about. As we think about all of those things, what do we see? The first is this. The kind of life that God prescribes for us is a life where all of our loves are rightly ordered. What do I mean by that? Well, it's like Jesus being the pearl of great price. We, we need to love him more than anything else, so that all of our loves beneath that can be rightly ordered. If anything sneaks above our love for God, what is that? That's an idol. And so as, as a parent, something that I am often thinking about is, have I made my children an idol? Or has that love snuck above my love for Christ and my love for God? What I need to remind myself of is, if I love Christ more than anything, if I love my God more than anything, then he will grow my heart to be able to love my children more than I already do. You see, the world doesn't grow strangely dim when we love God more. Uh, it's almost like you love God the right way and the lights are turned on in this world. You are able to enjoy things even more and in a more sanctifying way and sanctified way. Another thing to notice in terms of covetousness or in relation to covetousness is that fighting covetousness will largely come down to how much you are able to take joy and satisfaction in God. We were created to delight in something, some chief thing. We were created to be worshipers and the way that works is that something is on the throne of our hearts. We will worship something. 
And whatever that is, if it is not God, that is idolatry. But if we are delighting in God and satisfied in him and growing in our satisfaction in him, then that is going to be the best medicine against covetousness. So what we need to seek is satisfaction in God. What we need to seek is joy and delight in God. Psalm 34 or 37. Delight yourselves in the Lord. Delight yourselves in the Lord. It's easy to see how this flows freely from the gospel of grace. A God who is sovereign, who from the foundations of the world declared that he would save you, to pluck you out of your sinfulness, to send his son to live and to die for you. He does all that for you. He accomplishes this great salvation for you. He sets it before us. He says, it is yours by grace. I'm giving it to you as a gift. And he gives that to us. And what he gives to us is communion with him and life with him. The more we get to know him, the more we love him, the more we realize we need him, the more we realize we want more of him. That's a gospel-centered way to fight covetousness. We continue to think about this by thinking about why it is so dangerous. Why is coveting so dangerous? It's such a dangerous sin because it is subtle, or it can be subtle. It can be dressed up with all kinds of, of virtues. Someone may say, well, I, I just want to take care of my family, right? I want to take care of my family. So uh, they allow this greed or covetousness to run rampant in their heart and they, they order their life so as to just get stuff and to pile up stuff and to keep it all for themselves. And even though they may share with their family and dress it up in that kind of virtue, it's, it's just covetousness. It's greed. And of course, sins that are less discernible are sins that are more dangerous. It's like unscented poison. Unscented poison that, that could, could be in the air. You don't smell it, you don't realize it, but your body is being killed as you take it in. The consequences of unchecked covetousness are terrible. Think about all of the things that it does. That it, it, it takes you away from your ultimate purpose, which is the worship and the love and the service of God. And it puts you in the service of something else, of something earthly, of something that is uh, temporal and is passing away. It binds you to the earth and causes you to live exactly opposite to how God made you. It can make the word of God ineffectual in your heart if you are filled with covetousness. If your, if your heart is set on earthly things, you're going to listen to the preaching of the word. You're going to block it out. And make, it'll make the word ineffectual in your heart. It'll be like a, a roadblock. A couple Sundays ago, when, everything, when, when all the chaos was breaking loose on Sunday afternoon, I read that um, over in Hammond, on the other side of Calumet City, I don't know if it was the state troopers or Hammond's parks department or what, but they were uh, piling up big, huge mounds of sand along the state line so as to prevent people from coming from Illinois into Indiana. And uh, people were then sort of turning back and, and not coming that way. And that's something like what, what covetousness does in our hearts, the word of God. It, it builds a roadblock. Now, can God break through that? Of course he can. But to those who are filled with these kinds of sins, uh, they can often uh, 
hear the word of God preached and nothing happens. It consumes the affections. It takes up that part of your heart that is meant to be dedicated to God, to have your affections set on him. Imagine a young man is on the lookout for a perfect wife, but he falls for a young woman who has everything that would appeal to him externally, but nothing internally. And because his heart is set on her, he misses uh, the exact kind of woman he's looking for, who is kind and virtuous and God-honoring, but because his affections are set on something else. That's what happens with covetousness. It steals the ability of your heart to glory in that which you were created to love. Covetousness is a mother sin that breaks all the other commandments. You can think of all the other commandments that God has in his law. And covetousness, if you have, uh, if you have greed in your heart, you're breaking all the other commandments. It ruins your witness in the world. To be a Christian is to say Christ is more valuable than anything. That's what what you say externally as a Christian. I'm a Christ follower. He is worth everything to me. But if people see that you are filled with this sin of coveting, then they're going to say, well, he's not for real. She's a fake. She's a hypocrite. Finally, God hates covetousness and will judge it. We read in Colossians 3, on account of these, the wrath of God is coming and among those things are coveting. Why would we allow ourselves to revel in a sin that God says he hates and God says he will punish? So the cures for covetousness, a couple of things as we close tonight. The chief way to fight covetousness in your life is by faith. Faith is the primary cure for this sin. Faith rests in a good God. Faith is able to look at, a heart that is filled with faith is able to look at all of the things you have in your life, whatever God has given to you, and you can say in your heart, that is the right thing. Whatever he has granted to me, whatever he has chosen to give me, that is right according to his plan. He is good. I'm not going to doubt his goodness. I'm not going to doubt his sovereignty. I'm not going to doubt his love. He is my heavenly father. Whatever he decides to give me is okay with me because I am filled with faith and I trust him. He's a caring father who clothes the lilies and he gives to the ravens when they cry. Will he not provide his children? With what they need. We mentioned this this morning. First John chapter 5. The victory that has overcome the world. Is our faith. Why does faith overcome the world? Because in this life. We are going to face all kinds of difficulties. And challenges. All kinds of things that are temptations. To wander from the path of holiness. To wander from God. To doubt God. To doubt his goodness. But if you remain firm and steadfast in faith, trusting that whatever God brings your way is right and good, trusting that whatever he grants to you is better than you could have done for yourself, I thought it's an amazing, amazing insight I heard a pastor say recently, and I think I said it a couple of weeks ago when we were still doing the video thing, that uh, everything you receive in your life 
is exactly what you would have asked for in prayer if you know all the things or knew all the things that God knows. If you knew his plan and you knew all of the things that he knows and how he's weaving it all together, everything that you end up getting in your life is exactly what you would have prayed for. Why? Because God is molding all of this world, all of this universe for his glory and he's bringing it all together in an amazing way. And at the top of his list of care and love are his children, us. So faith is the primary cure for covetousness because covetousness looks at this world and it says, I want that, I want that, I want what that person has, I want what this person has. Faith looks at a good God and says, you have given me that which I need. Flowing out of faith, of course, is a right perspective on earthly things. Have you asked God to give you a proper perspective on the things of this earth? Things that are fading away, things that won't last. Thomas Watson says this, What poor things are these earthly things that we should covet them? Far below the worth of the soul, which carries in it a resemblance of God. The world is but the workmanship of God. The soul is his image. We covet that which will not satisfy us. Worldly things cannot remove the trouble of the mind. When King Saul was perplexed in his conscience, his crown jewels could not comfort him. When when everything in, in Saul's life was falling apart, it didn't matter to him that he was the king of Israel. The things of the world can no more ease a troubled spirit than a gold cap can cure the headache. The things of this world cannot continue with you. The creature has a little honey in its mouth, but it has wings to fly away. Earthly things either leave us or we leave them. What poor things are they to covet? It's all going away. It'll all be destroyed. How could you covet something that's bound to the earth? Ecclesiastes chapter 5, he who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. Faith is a cure for covetousness, a right perspective on earthly things. It's not going to last forever. What is going to last forever is our soul and being with God and the kingdom of God. And then fill your life then, in terms of fighting coveting, fill your life with a desire of eternal and heavenly things. To desire those things, you wouldn't describe it as coveting, but you really, you seek them as if you're coveting them, as if you, you want them badly. Uh, eternal life and, and righteousness and heaven, the way that Paul says, that by any means possible, I want to attain to the resurrection of the dead. I'm going to do whatever it takes to make sure that I'm with Jesus for all eternity. I'm going to do whatever I can to make sure that that's where I end up. Continue resting in him and taking joy in him and believing all that he says. So rather than coveting for the things of this earth, we covet for heaven. We pray for a heavenly mind. Pray that God would give us heavenly mindedness. We seek contentment because we know that contentment is one of those virtues that's going to allow us to flourish without being greedy. All of these things uh, we give into God's hands. We know that when he tells us his law, he speaks his commandments to us, it can be very difficult to hear those words. And certainly as we unpack these commandments, and now we're, 
we're finishing the study on the Ten Commandments in our catechism, we realize how far we have to go and how much work there is to do to live lives that glorify God. But what do we take joy in? We take joy in the fact that through the gospel we can rest in Christ. Through the gospel we know that our obedience in this life is only a small beginning, but nevertheless we seek it so, the, so that we might more and more die unto sin and live unto righteousness. We can be encouraged to enter the battle in freedom, knowing that the victory is ours in Christ, knowing that our God provides us with all that we need, and knowing that we are to never stop striving to be renewed after God's image, to strive day after day, but to do so in the freedom that Christ has won for us until we reach the final goal, perfection. Let's pray. And so, Heavenly Father, we thank you and we praise you for yet another Lord's Day. Pray that you would build us up in your word and in your truth. We thank you for Christ. We thank you for sending the Spirit in his stead. May we live for you always and uh, glorify Christ in all that we do and say. In his name, amen.